After reciting the Tashahud Ta'uz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalib the Masih V, Ayyadullah Ta'ala bin Aziz stated, Within the Jamaat, 20th of February is commemorated as the day of the prophecy of Muslim Maud. I will say a few words in relation to this today, as tomorrow is 20th of February. It is a lengthy prophecy which contains various attributes of the promised son of the promised Messiah a.s which were vouchsafed to the Promised Messiah by Allah the Almighty. Today, I will speak about one aspect of the prophecy, that is, he will be filled with secular and spiritual knowledge, and I will do so in light of Hazrat Muslim Ma'ud's writings and speeches, etc., This will, to some extent, also shed light on another aspect of the prophecy, which is, he will be extremely intelligent and perceptive. Despite his limited secular education and the fact that he had received an education only up until primary level, yet he was endowed with immense secular and spiritual knowledge by God Almighty. These works which he presented on various occasions was so comprehensive and vast that it is difficult to encompass it all in one sermon. As a matter of fact, even an introduction in a single sermon is a difficult task. Even just an introduction would require a series of sermons. Hence, it is not possible for me to mention everything. Nevertheless, I thought that in order to provide an introduction or a glimpse, I should briefly introduce some of his treatises and speeches. I thought to present some summarized points from these discourses so that a brief glimpse of Hazrat Muslim Maud's profound knowledge, understanding and wisdom comes to light. These topics, speeches and writings consist of the unity of Allah the Almighty, the reality of angels, the rank and status of prophets, the rank and status of Muhammad wasallam, the seal of prophets, other spiritual aspects, guidance for Muslims with regards to religion and politics, the Islamic economic and financial systems, Islamic history, and also some of the issues related to his time, some of which even exist today. After reading his observations, as well as analyzing the current issues, we can find the solutions to the present-day problems from them.
His addresses and writings consist of a plethora of other topics. However, as I mentioned, even a mere introduction of these is not possible. Therefore, I will only provide an introduction to some of them. Moreover, I selected those from when he was entering the prime of his youth. A youth of 16 to 17 years of age, who had no formal secular or religious education, presented such verities that one is left completely astounded. On the subject of the unity of God, at just 17 years of age, he delivered a speech on the occasion of the Jalsa Salana, which Hazrat Khalid al-Masih I also greatly praised and stated that he presented some truly unique points of wisdom. Nevertheless, I will present a glimpse of the treasures of his knowledge and understanding from the age of 16, 17 or 18 until he was 34 to 35 years of age, which is the early period of adulthood. I will not be able to present even one-fiftieth of everything he said during this period, or perhaps even less than this. He attained a long life after this time and being endowed with knowledge from Allah the Almighty, he continued to bestow us with pearls of knowledge and wisdom. In March 1907, when he was only 18 years of age, Hazrat Muslim anhu wrote an extraordinary treatise on the topic of the love of God, which was later published as a book. From this treatise alone, it becomes evident just how Allah the Almighty began to grant him secular and spiritual knowledge from the very outset and from a very young age. Hazrat Muslim stated, God Almighty has created mankind so that they may demonstrate their love for Him. The purpose and objective for the creation of mankind is so that they remain intoxicated in the love of God and to continue to partake of this ocean that grants eternal life. Which life is eternal? It is the life of the hereafter. It is through love of God that one can refrain from sins and increase in spirituality. It is this very love which enables one to develop true recognition of God. And without this love, one cannot attain true cognizance of the divine. He stated, Hence, in order to refrain from sins and increase in spirituality, it is essential for us to strengthen our relationship with God Almighty and to develop such devotion and love within our hearts that will bring us closer to Him so that we may transform into a sun from which the world will derive light. Following this, he made a mention of various religions and stated, God is certainly one. However, every religion has its individual perspective on his being. Thereafter, he presented the Jewish, Christian, Hindu and Aryan concepts of God and proved that a God of such teachings and attributes cannot be worthy of human worship. He presented the teachings of Islam and established that Islam alone presents God as one who possesses perfect and infinite qualities and beauty and is he who truly is worthy of the exclusive love and worship of humankind. As I have already explained that it is clear there is only one God for all people. However, the concept of God depicted in Islam is the true reality as compared to the portrayals of God outlined by other religions. It is through the understanding presented by Islam that one's heart can develop the love of God. He described the attributes of God and demonstrated that no other religion details the attributes of God to the same degree as Islam does. Neither is there any parallel in other religions to Islam in the manner that Islam explains the beauties and excellences of the attributes of God. In conclusion, he says that Islam gives evidence of the living God by saying that God still guides his servants even today through revelation, as he did in the past.
This is the most significant characteristic of the living God. He then writes, I thus conclude my article, as I have proven that the God presented by the flawed teachings of other religions is not one who is worthy of the love of humankind. It is impossible for a person to follow those teachings. He further wrote that the teachings of Islam are in accord with human nature. God Almighty is omnipotent and is completely free of any flaws. The most important quality outlined by Islam is that the one who shows devotion to God does not receive an immediately clear response. In fact, God Almighty first places one through trial and thereafter communicates with him. This is something that should be kept in view. Allah the Almighty does not give an immediately clear response. One first has to pass through trials, after which God speaks to them. The fire that burns in the devotee's heart is cooled instantly through God speaking to him, providing contentment and tranquility. It extinguishes the fire of passion and agony in the heart, which arises from longing to receive a reply. Subsequently, one's heart then begins to glow with love and it develops a zeal to become even closer to God. Ultimately, one draws so near to God that he reflects God's words of Antaminni wa anaminka, meaning that you are of me and I am of you. This means that my being is reflected in the world through you and I confer respect upon you. In essence, it is such people who reflect the glory of God to the world. It is such people who are immersed in the river of God's love. And this is the sole reason why they are conferred with respect. He writes, The more I reflect on the words, love of God, the more heartfelt enjoyment and pleasure I derive. How beautiful is the religion of Islam that has guided us to this blessing which illuminates our hearts and enlightens our minds. Islamic teachings are like dressings to the wounds of our heart. Were it not for Islam, then those searching for the truth would have died in their pursuit. Those who had the spirit of love within them would have failed in their desperate search. This true love would have appeared to be an impossible objective and considered mere conjecture and imagination. This is because when people believe there is no higher being deserving of their love, what else can they do except for to resort to developing doubts and uncertainties? By granting mankind the religion of Islam, Allah the Almighty has given sorrowful hearts the means of tranquility and those in inner discontent the means of contentment and bliss. When one who believes in God realizes that God sees all things in him, knows the depths of his heart, listens and speaks to him, and has the power to reward the one who loves him. It brings him to developing an intense delight and happiness in the heart on account of that special love. In other words, a person feels bliss and delight. On 28th of December 1908, Hazrat Muslimaud delivered a powerful address at the Jalsa Salana on the topic of how can we be successful. This is a perspective given by a merely 19-year-old youth. Hazrat Muslimaud recited the full verses of 111 to 112 of Surah Tawbah. Beginning from, surely Allah has purchased of the believers their persons and their property in return for the gardens they shall have until the verse and give glad tidings to those who believe. Then he said, every person should consider why they have been created in this world. As every single person will eventually die, everyone needs to reflect as to what will happen after. A person toils and expends huge efforts in their brief and temporary life in the world. Then do we not need to make preparations for the eternal life, which is the life after death? i.e. the life in the hereafter is eternal. Is there no need to make any preparations for that? 
This is a very important question. In light of the Holy Quran, he explains that on a nominal trade, one takes profound precautions and only purchases that which benefits and is profitable to him. How regrettable is it then that one does not enter that trade which will profit him with hundreds of thousands or tens of millions, but will grant him infinite profit? In light of the teachings of the Holy Quran, he says, one should accumulate that wealth for themselves that will benefit them, as opposed to that wealth which can easily be wasted by those he leaves behind. Worldly wealth can be spent and wasted by one's heirs. However, if he instead enters the trade as outlined in the Holy Quran, it will benefit him, and nor can anyone bring him to ruin thereafter. In fact, that will continue to benefit him in the life to come. He further states that for such people, Allah the Almighty personally grants them wealth and treasure. Thus, when one has Allah as their treasurer, what need will he have for anyone or anything else? One who enters such a trade is counted in the spiritual army of God, the Almighty, and are required to display courage to give up their lives for the sake of God in not just words, but in actions. Hazrat Muslim then mentioned the successes and victories of those who engaged in such spiritual trade, for example, Prophet Moses and the Holy Prophet and explained how Allah the Almighty granted them victory over their enemies. There are certain conditions attached to this exchange or transaction. Firstly, a person should always seek forgiveness for their sins, and by seeking forgiveness one can remove the corrosion of their hearts. Secondly, for one to incline towards worship in order to strengthen their relationship with God Almighty. Thirdly, one ought to ensure that they always praise God Almighty and remain grateful for the blessings He has bestowed upon them. Fourthly, to enjoin good. Fifthly, to safeguard the boundaries outlined by God Almighty. In other words, one ought to be mindful of the boundaries set out by God Almighty. The one who acts according to these conditions and is a sincere believer, they would become the recipient of glad tidings from God Almighty. The one who acts according to these conditions, and is a sincere believer, they would become the recipient of glad tidings from God Almighty. Then, in 1916, two years after being elected as Khalifa, Hazrat Muslim delivered a speech on the topic of remembrance of Allah in which he explained the matters relating to the remembrance of Allah in a most unique and fascinating manner. He explained about what the remembrance of Allah entails, why it is required, the various forms and benefits of the remembrance of Allah. In this speech, he explained the concept of zikr among the Sufis and how their erroneous customs are hindering them from attaining the nearness of God. He stated that there are four types of zikr. One, the prescribed prayers. Number two, the recitation of the Holy Quran. Number three, oft remembering the attributes of Allah, acknowledging their truthfulness and verbalizing their details. Number four, to ponder over the attributes of Allah in seclusion and also to publicly proclaim the attributes of Allah. Similarly, he outlined the ways in which one's zikr would be granted acceptance and also the special times for the remembrance of Allah. In this very speech, he stressed the importance of performing zikr that would enable one to reach the exalted station, i.e. Muqamah Mahmud, i.e. to offer the Hajjad prayers regularly. He outlined more than a dozen ways one can perform the Hajjad prayers regularly. Likewise, in light of verses of the Holy Quran and the Hadith, he presented 22 methods how one can maintain concentration in their prayers. At the end, he mentioned 12 extraordinary benefits of the remembrance of Allah. A noteworthy incident took place during this very speech. A non-Ahmadi Sufi was attending the annual convention and was sitting listening to his speech. He sent in a note to Hazrat Muslim saying, 
What an extraordinary exposition! Just one point of wisdom, like the one you are mentioning, are revealed by the Sufis after one has served them for at least ten years, i.e. those that would stay in their company. Once they had served them for at least ten years, only then would they reveal a single point. But you have revealed all the points of wisdom in one sitting. What a marvel this is! You have revealed all these points of wisdom at once. Divine Providence has supremacy over everything in the universe. Hazrat Muslim Audrey delivered this speech in Patiala on 9th of October 1917. The summary of which is as follows. As a Muslim spoke about the truthfulness of Allah the Almighty, Islam, the Holy Quran and the Promised Messiah in light of the attribute of Divine Providence. Hazrat Muslim said, One of the proofs for the existence of God Almighty are His attributes. If one ponders over Divine attributes and their magnificent powers which are manifested at all times, one is compelled to accept that a powerful, all-knowing, wise and merciful being exists. As a Muslim stated that Surah Al-Fatiha is the mother of the book and mentions four attributes which are the essence of all the other attributes. If one ponders over these attributes, one can be saved from all erroneous beliefs and practices. For example, the first attribute is Lord of all the worlds. Divine providence is associated with everything that exists and everything is benefiting from this providence. Thus, the attribute of Rabbul Alameen compels one to accept that since God Almighty has created all the beneficial forms of nourishment for the body to subsist, then certainly He would have created sustenance for the soul, which is more valuable than the body. Subsequently, Allah the Almighty states, وَإِن مِّن أُمَّةٍ meaning that a prophet has been sent to every nation who came for the moral training of mankind and to guide mankind towards the means for spiritual progress. In the end, Allah the Almighty sent the Holy Prophet for the reformation of all nations and for all times as the Sharia was perfected through him. For this reason, the Holy Prophet stated that after him, in order for man to be bestowed divine communion, certain people would be appointed to expound upon the wisdoms of the Sharia and thereby establish communion with God. Thus, in accordance with divine providence, Allah the Almighty appointed the Promised Messiah in this age, who claimed to be a recipient of divine discourse and to be appointed for the reformation of mankind. The practical manifestation of God Almighty's support for the Promised Messiah Islam were manifested through the fulfillment of his prophecies and the continuously manifesting signs proved the truthfulness of his claim. At the end, has a Muslim mentioned that it is only Islam that presents a living God and one can witness signs of his existence. He also stated that as God Almighty ensured for the spiritual sustenance of man in the past through his providence, he does so today also. And by following this path set out by him, one can attain all those rewards and blessings that the people attained thousands of years ago. Then there was a lecture, The Outset of Dissension in Islam, delivered in 1919 organized by the Martin Historical Society of Islamia College, Lahore. This lecture spans across almost 100 pages. The summary of it is as follows. As mentioned already, on 26th of February 1919, Hazrat Muslim Aud delivered this extraordinary address in an event organized by the Martin Historical Society in Islamia College, Lahore. This event was chaired by Sayyid Abdul Qadir Sahib, who at the time was a renowned professor in history. He was not an Ahmadi. This event was chaired by him. 
explaining the importance of this topic, Hazrat Muslim stated, The foundation for dissension in Islam was laid 15 years after the demise of the Holy Prophet After this time, the cracks of schism between the Muslims continue to widen. The history of this very era is concealed in heavy veils of darkness. According to the opponents of Islam, this is a hideous blemish upon Islam, and even to its friends serves as a perplexing question. Only a few have sought to cross the swamp of the history of that era safe and sound, and who are able to succeed in their objective. It is for this reason that I decided to speak to you on this very topic. Hazrat Muslimal's thoroughly researched speech contained extremely valuable advice. The essence of the speech was that the belief that some prominent companions were responsible for spreading dissension and mischief is absolutely false. In his discourse, Hazrat Muslimal spoke about the early period of Hazrat Usman's rule, the status of Hazrat Usman in the eyes of the Holy Prophet how the dissension and rebellion started. The Islamic Caliphate was a religious institution and to harbour malice against the companions is futile. Discussing this further, Hazrat Muslim mentioned the reasons and factors that led to the dissension occurring in the era of Hazrat Usman. The circumstances of Abdullah bin Sabah, chief architect of the rebellion. Hazrat Muslim also shed light on the general conditions of the people of Kufa and Syria. Another allegation levelled against Hazrat Usman is that he appointed his own governors who were responsible for this dissension. Giving his verdict about this, Hazrat Muslim stated, Therefore, the people who were sent to carry out this investigation were magnificent people and no one can raise an objection against their findings. The unanimous verdict of these three companions, i.e. those companions who were sent by Hazrat Usman to make inquiries, along with the rest of those who were sent to other countries, that there was absolute peace and security, no sign of justice and tyranny, and governors were acting with complete equality and justice, was such a verdict which leaves no room for doubt. It is clearly evident that all this disorder was the result of the mischief of a few transgressors and the instigation of Abdullah bin Sabah. Hazrat Usman and his representatives were free from all objections, i.e. the governors that Hazrat Usman had appointed. Owing to his natural disposition, Hazrat Usman continued to afford them with kindness and compassion. In face of the scheming and revolt by the rebels, he would always say that he did not wish to have the blood of Muslims on his hands. Eminent companions and Hazrat Muawiyah gave suggestions for the establishment of peace. But Hazrat Usman continued to follow his compassionate disposition. In fact, in order to silence the critics, he accepted their demands to whatever extent it was acceptable for him. Whilst mentioning a key principle in order to understand the reality behind the varying historical accounts, Hazrat Muslim states, a great deal of caution is required with respect to the history of this era because no era has followed after the one under discussion which has been absent of such people who held sympathy for either one party or the other. This fact proves to be very detrimental to history because when intense hatred or undue love is involved, a narration can never be transmitted in its true form. A golden principle for the verification of history is that world events are like a chain. In order to verify the authenticity of an individual incident, it should be examined after being threaded into this chain to see whether the link can be threaded into its proper place or not. The essence of Hazrat Muslimah's research was that Hazrat Usman and other companions of the Holy Prophet were completely free from any blame of this rebellion. In fact, their conduct was an example of their excellent morals and they always strived to attain the highest stages of piety. Furthermore, he concluded that the companions never raised any allegations against the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman and displayed loyalty to him until the very end. Hazrat Muslim stated, 
The allegation against Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair of secretly conspiring is also absolutely false. The allegation which is levelled against the Ansar that, that they were displeased with Hazrat Usman is false because we see that all the chiefs among the Ansar endeavoured to ward off this conflict. After its publication, some externals presented their opinions on this lecture. Sayyid Abdul Qadir, MA Professor, Islamia College, Lahore, began by saying, He is the esteemed son of a remarkable and learned father. Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed's name alone is guarantee enough that this lecture was to be extremely scholarly. I have also studied history, but I can confidently say that very few historians, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, have reached the crux of the matter regarding the dissension that arose in the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman and succeeded in deciphering the real cause of this destructive first civil war. Hazrat Mirza Sahib not only succeeded in unravelling the causes of the civil war, but he clearly and coherently explained all those incidents which had shaken the institution of Khilafat for a considerable time. In my opinion, those interested in the history of Islam would not have come across a discourse as thoroughly researched as this one. The truth is, only when we study Hazrat Usman's Khilafat from authentic and primary Islamic sources can we learn from these events and understand their true value. Then there is a speech of Hazrat Muslim on the topic of divine decree, which was delivered in Masjid Nur Qadian on the occasion of Jalsa Salana of 1919. The summary of this address is as follows. The issue of divine decree is an extremely complicated and delicate matter, which Hazrat Muslim spoke about it with great sagacity. As a Muslim stated, I humbly submitted before God Almighty, saying, O Allah, if it is not appropriate to speak on this topic, then place in my heart that I should refrain from doing so. But it was indicated to me that I should speak about this topic. Although this topic is complex and requires great attention and resolve to comprehend it, however, it will be of great benefit if you understood it. Hazrat Khalifa made reference to this address on different occasions. Hazrat Khalifa Rahimahullah stated, For Hazrat Khalifa II to address a large gathering in which there were people who were of varying academic and intellectual abilities is no ordinary feat. The extraordinary manner in which he spoke on this subject was a feat only he could achieve. Hazrat Khalid Musi Rahimullah says, What was this speech? It was a masterpiece of Islamic theology. After explaining the importance of the subject of divine decree and mentioning the sayings of the Holy Prophet he shed light on this topic, stating that belief in divine decree and the existence of God Almighty are inseparable. Thereafter, Hazrat Muslim discoursed on the opposing views on the subject of divine decree and reconcile the apparent differences and various sayings of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Muslim then explained those instances whereby man has greatly erred owing to his failure of understanding the subject of divine decree. Then in light of six Quranic verses, Hazrat Muslim emphatically and comprehensively refuted the concept of Wahdud al-Wujud. Similarly, he disproved those who are on the other end of the extreme in their view and through strong arguments, refuted their belief that God cannot do anything and everything that happens is owing to man's own effort. Hazrat Muslim provided an excellent analysis of how human thought has greatly erred as a result of confusing the concept of divine knowledge and divine decree and then beautifully expounded upon this subject. Hazrat Khalifa IV stated, This speech discusses every aspect of divine decree as well as providing answers to recent and historic allegations. In relation to divine decree, as a Muslim spoke about seven spiritual ranks which one can attain after properly understanding the concept of divine decree and having fulfilled its prerequisites.
In any case, people often ask about the concept of divine decree. Therefore, they should read this book. On another occasion, Hazrat Muslim granted guidance to the Muslims on the topic of Turkish peace and the responsibilities of Muslims. On the occasion of a conference in Allahabad organized by the Khilafat Committee, the gist of this treatise is that after the conclusion of the First World War, the terms of peace that were reformulated by the Allied powers to the Ottoman Empire were extremely humiliating and would result in completely breaking up the Ottoman Empire. Moreover, its naval, land and air forces would be significantly limited as well as imposing various other extremely harsh restrictions upon them. Thus, in light of these circumstances, a conference was organized by the Khilafat Committee to be held from 1st of June to 2nd of June 1920 in Allahabad to discuss the terms offered to the Ottoman Empire and to determine the future strategy of the Muslims. The famous leader of the Jamiyat-e Ulama in India, Maulana Abdul Bari of Farangi Mahal, wrote a letter to Hazrat Muslimaud on 30th of May 1920, inviting Hazur to attend the conference and share his thoughts. Within a day, Hazrat Muslimaud penned the entire treatise under the title Turkish Peace and the Responsibilities of Muslims and had it published overnight and sent it with Hazrat Mulana Muhammad Sarwaz Shah Sahib, Hazrat Sayyid Waliullah Shah Sahib and Hazrat Chaudhary Muhammad Zufrullah Khan Sahib. In this treatise, Hazrat Muslimaud highlighted the flaws in the terms of the peace offered to the Ottoman Empire and also gave recommendations as to how the Muslims could be safeguarded from its dire consequences. Through comprehensive and convincing arguments, Hazrat Muslimaud explained his viewpoint and also stated that some of the proposals that have been suggested, such as migrating, calling for a general jihad and non-cooperation, are impractical and will cause harm to the Muslims. Hazrat Muslimaud put forward the suggestion that the Muslims ought to become united and in one voice convey to the Allies that the terms of the peace they have offered to Turkey go against the basic principles which the Allies themselves have set. Furthermore, the Muslims see these terms as being driven by the hidden hand of Christian enmity and an appeasement to the needs of capitalists. Therefore, the Muslims should express their disapproval of these terms and appeal for them to be changed. Apart from the aforementioned proposals in this treaty, Hazrat Muslimaud also recommended that for the future success and progress of Muslims and Islam, a proper international Islamic organization should be established. Nowadays, the Muslims claim that they have formed an organization. However, they cannot even collectively agree to any decision. But despite this, it was Hazrat Muslimaud who first gave this suggestion. Even today, the attitude of certain Western powers and their treatment towards the Muslim governments resembles the conditions that Hazrat Muslimaud described in this treatise of his. This extraordinary analysis of the affairs and the proposals put forward at the time where there was not even an internet, etc., is clearly indicative of the fact that Allah the Almighty's special help and support was with Hazrat Muslimaud and proves that Allah the Almighty had granted him this knowledge of the world and also fulfilled the promise of granting him wisdom. Another speech of his was on the subject of angels of Allah which Hazrat Muslimaud delivered on 28th of December 1920 in Betul Nur and the speech was delivered over two days. The subjects on the angels of Allah constitutes the fundamental tenets and beliefs of Islam. Despite the fact this is a very intricate and complex subject, however, Hazrat Muslimaud presented it in a very simple and clear manner. In light of the Holy Quran, Hazrat Muslimaud explained the reality and need of angels, the various types of angels, their responsibilities and services, etc. Furthermore, he gave proofs of the existence of angels and comprehensively refuted the allegations and misgivings about the concept of angels through clear argumentation. Towards the end of his speech, Hazrat Muslimaud explained the eight means 
by which one can establish a relationship with the angels and derive benefit from them, which are as follows. Firstly, to sit with those upon whom angel Gabriel descends upon, i.e. to sit in the company of the righteous and the prophets. Secondly, by invoking salutations upon the Holy Prophet Thirdly, one should instill in their hearts the habit of forgiving and overlooking the shortcomings of others and becoming pure from thinking ill of others. Fourth, to remain occupied in praising and glorifying Allah the Almighty. Fifth, to recite the Holy Quran with full attention. Sixth, to read the books of those upon whom angels descend. Therefore, in this day and age, one ought to read the books of the Promised Messiah. Number seven, to visit those places where angels particularly descend. There are certain holy places. One should visit them. Eight, to establish a relationship with Khilafat. As the Muslim world expounded upon all of these aspects. Another lecture of Hazrat Muslimad was on the need for religion in which he replied to the questions posed by some college students in Lahore on 5th of March 1921. The summary of this lecture is that in order to give a testimony in a court case Hazrat Muslimad travelled to Lahore on 4th of March 1921 and remained there from 4th March to 7th of March. On 5th of March, during an audience with Hazrat Muslimad, some of the students asked the following three questions. Firstly, if Hazrat Muslimad could shed light on the question that there is no need for religion and nor does one derive any benefit from it, but if one wants to derive any superficial benefits from it, there is no harm as to such belief in religion. Secondly, there are people amongst other religions who make prophecies. Therefore, Islam does not hold any distinction in this regard in that it has made prophecies. Thirdly, the spread of the Promised Messiah's community is not a sign of his truthfulness because Lenin in Russia has also witnessed great success. Hazrat Muslimod comprehensively answered all three questions in very simple terms. Hazrat Muslimod explained that the need of religion is inextricably linked with the existence of God. This has been published under the title of The Need for Religion. He stated, the need of religion is inextricably linked with the existence of God. If God exists, then naturally there is a need for religion as well. The proof of the existence of God is his divine communion with his servants. In this day and age, the prophecies of the Promised Messiah are continuously being fulfilled and thus furnishing proofs of the existence of God Almighty. In reply to the second question, as the Muslim all stated, that the fundamental difference between the prophecies of the prophets and those of ordinary people is that others make prophecies based on their own knowledge and they are nothing more than mere conjecture, whereas the prophecies of prophets are from God Almighty and made completely and contrary to the prevalent conditions of the time. Furthermore, their prophecies contain many facets and are sublime in nature and possess might and power. In reply to the third question, as the Muslim all stated that the success granted to the promise of Islam had already been foretold by him and therefore this success was granted accordingly. Thus, it would be incorrect to claim that since others are successful, therefore the success granted the Promised Messiah does not serve as a sign of his truthfulness. In any case, this was a very detailed lecture. In 1921, Hazrat Muslimad delivered a speech on the existence of God Almighty. It was a very lengthy speech and spans 190 pages. The gist of this is that in 1921, Hazrat Muslim al delivered a very scholarly and comprehensive speech in a very enlightening manner, which was filled with profound intricacies and wisdom. In his speech, Hazrat Muslim al presented eight proofs of the existence of God Almighty and also answered the allegations which are raised against each of these proofs. Hazrat Muslim al also proved the existence of God Almighty through his divine attributes and also explained the various types of attributes. He provided evidence and also explained the different types of attributes of Allah. Furthermore, Hazrat Muslimad expounded on the teachings of Islam in contrast to the views of Europeans, Zoroastrians, Hindus and Aryas on their respective concept of God Almighty. Moreover, 
as a Muslim I'll explain the concept of associating partners with Allah and its various forms and also how to eliminate them. As a Muslim I'll also explain how one can witness the divine and the different stages in relation to this, the blessings it contains and how one can attain this. In 1921, Hazrat Muslim wrote a book, a present to His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, on the occasion of his visit to India. The summary of this book is that in December 1921, the Prince of Wales, who was the official heir to the throne of the British Empire, travelled to India for an official visit. He is the same Prince of Wales who is also known as Edward VIII, and later abdicated the throne in 1936 due to his differences with the Church of England. Upon his visit, as a Muslim wrote a book titled A Present to His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. And upon the guidance of as a Muslim, 32,208 members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community donated one ana each in order to help arrange for the publication of the book. Through the Punjab government, this book was presented to the Prince of Wales by a delegation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on February 27, 1922, as a unique and special gift. In this very brief and scholarly book, as a Muslim expressed his loyalty to the British government, as well as providing a brief introduction to the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and also explaining the teachings, history and objectives of the community. In the end, in line with the practice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Hazrat Muslim Maud presented the Prince with the message of Islam in an extremely convincing manner and invited him to Islam. The Prince of Wales accepted this gift from Hazrat Muslim Maud and sent a message of gratitude through his Chief Secretary. With regards to the sentiments about this, the Prince of Wales, who later became known as Edward VIII, as I mentioned earlier, after he abdicated the throne in 1936 owing to a dispute with the Church of England. He greatly appreciated this gift and honoured it. Not only did he send a note of thanks through his Chief Secretary, but during his journey from Lahore to Jammu in March of 1922, he read it in its entirety and was very pleased. According to reports, as he was reading the book, at certain instances, his face would glow out of appreciation. Similarly, his personal assistant also said that when Edward VIII was reading the book, he would stand up all of a sudden. Eventually, sometime later, he openly declared his disassociation with Christianity. On 24th of April 1922, the Zulfikar newspaper published a review of this book, saying, we cannot go without appreciating the efforts made by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya movement in disseminating the message of Islam. A large portion of a gift to the Prince of Wales is full of the propagation of Islam and is such a magnificent exposition that non-Ahmadis would be left envious of it. It is incumbent that when we arrive at the news desk, we must leave our prejudices behind. And it is thus upon seeing this gift that we expressed our resounding approval. The esteemed author of this gift has acted in complete accordance with the practice of the Holy Prophet ﷺ by openly and bravely inviting the heir to the British throne towards Islam. If any other sect, person or seditious newspaper decides to attack this gift by adopting the path of enmity and jealousy, then that is an entirely separate matter altogether. We have not found any instance of sycophancy in this gift, although there are certain instances where brief mention of the late Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Sahib's life from beginning to end is made. However, those instances are for the sake of fostering peace and to express loyalty to the government. It is clear that God Almighty does not befriend those sects who are evil-minded and stir up disorder. Rather, He annihilates them. Similarly, a government-backed newspaper from the Punjab called Civil and Military Gazette wrote in its 18th April 1922 edition, It has to be accepted that he, i.e. Hazrat Mirza Bashirzi Mahmood Ahmed, has presented his arguments in an excellent manner, with great proficiency and knowledge. 
despite the fact that underlying purposes of this was the propagation of his message, whether the Prince of Wales becomes an Ahmadi or not, there is no doubt that in the eyes of those who take an interest in religion, especially in the various religions of India and England, there is no diminishing the value and enjoyment of this book. This book had a great impact on the foreign world as well. It opened up a new path for the propagation of Islam in Western countries. A professor from Vienna, the capital of Austria, who was an expert in three languages, expressed his profound happiness upon reading it and lamented about the fact that he was of an advanced age, otherwise he would have traveled the world to propagate this book. Hazrat Mufti Muhammad Sadiq Sahib wrote from America that this book had a great impact across America. In fact, it seemed as if this book had been written whilst keeping the intellectual standards of America in mind. Apart from Western countries, this book also gained recognition in Africa. The leader newspaper in Nairobi wrote, Though I am not a Christian, I was born in a Christian household and understand their literature. However, the amount of knowledge and delight I have gained from this cannot be expressed in words. Although the author of this book is a Muslim, it seems quite likely that he spent years amongst Christians and has carefully studied their literature. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to say such things pertaining to Christianity with so much openness. To this day, I have not seen any book which was written on the basis of religion but remained free from any prejudice. This is the first book of its stature. Similarly, there is Ahmadiyyat or the True Islam, which was a speech from 1924. The summary of this book was read out at the Wembley Conference. The book itself is quite lengthy, comprising of approximately 250 pages. The Wembley Conference took place in 1924, and the renowned scholars of the world's religions were invited to deliver lectures on the superiority of their respective religions. As a Muslim, was also invited to attend this conference. For the purposes of this conference, Hazrat Muslim wrote the voluminous book Ahmadiyyat or the True Islam, which he began writing on 24th of May and finished on 6th of June, thus completing this book within two weeks. A summary was read out at the conference in the presence of Hazrat Muslim by Chaudhry Muhammad Zafrullah Khan Sahib. This lecture was so unique that prominent Christian leaders were compelled to say that without a doubt, the ideas presented in this treatise were completely unique with respect to its moral, training, proofs and its beauty. Hence, through this lecture, God created an opportunity for the message of Ahmadiyyat, i.e. the true Islam, to reach renowned leaders of other religions, who had no other option but to attest to the truthfulness of Islam. In this book, Hazrat Muslim Maud shed light on the various aspects of the beautiful teachings of Islam in an excellent manner. First, he proved through the verses of Surah As-Safat that holding religious conferences such as these were foretold 1300 years earlier in the Holy Quran. After this, he gave an introduction to the Ahmadiyya community and proved through sound evidence that Ahmadiyya and the true Islam are one and the same. Then he elucidated the four primary purposes of religion. In relation to this, he first clearly explained the concept of God as presented by Islam. He stated that the type of relationship Islam expects a person to have with God as well as the responsibilities placed by God on mankind. As a Muslim, I will also remove this misconception that Islam teaches that means cannot be used at all and instead all things should be left to God. In other words, one does not need to do anything at all. This is an allegation raised against Muslims. As a Muslim, stated, It is proven through Quranic verses that this is not what Islam teaches. In fact, the teaching of Islam is that one should take full advantage of the means available to them and then trust should be placed in God. Trust in God does not mean one must abandon all other means. Rather, trust in God refers to the certainty that God Almighty is a living God. 
Then Hazrat Muslim shed light on the fact that at this time it is only the religion of Islam which can help man reach God. For Islam says that whoever acts in accordance with the teachings it has presented and has a longing to meet God, such a person will certainly find God. Hazrat Muslim states that this uncertainty is only clarified by Islam, wherein it is stated that by following his teachings, such people will emerge who become manifestations of divine attributes, i.e. they will reflect upon the divine attributes and adopt them, them first, and then show the signs to others, thus granting them complete understanding regarding the existence of God. Hence, in this era, in order to help people recognize him and become free from doubt, Allah the Almighty sent the promised Messiah, Thereafter, Hazrat Muslim discussed at great length in the different aspects of morals and proved that the moral teachings of Islam are indeed the most perfect and that no other religion can compare to it. He then gave a detailed explanation about the principles of good morals and the ways of abstaining from immoral conduct. He also presented the teachings of Islam with regards to reforming one's morals. He then presented the teachings of Islam regarding civilization and stated the difference between civilization and morals in a most excellent manner. He then shed light upon the various ways in which society should interact with one another. After that, he presented the rights and responsibilities of the government and its citizens in great detail. Then, whilst expanding upon this subject, he discussed how the relationships between different governments should be. He presented golden principles mentioned in the Holy Quran with regards to solving disputes between nations, stating that if the League of Nations had laid its foundations upon these principles, it would have been successful, but it failed in its objectives because it did not follow these principles. Now, since the UN has also failed to follow these principles, it is proving ineffective and will do so in the future. Nevertheless, at the end of this book, as a Muslim all shed light upon the circumstances after death, whilst also mentioning the reality of the rewards and punishment one will receive in the next life. Not only did he mention the teachings of the Promised Messiah, he has also given examples of those who acted upon these teachings, but also how they brought about a revolution in their lives and the extent to which the Promised Messiah affected their lives, whereby some of them preferred to sacrifice their lives over abandoning his teachings. In the end, Hazrat Muslim invited the entire world to accept Ahmadiyyat and gave them the glad tidings that the time has come to dispel all these problems. Furthermore, if they gather at the hands of the one sent by God, they will attain success in their faith and in the world. Upon the conclusion of this speech, the President gave his remarks in similar words, stating, I have nothing further to say, for the beauty and exquisiteness has already been expressed in the speech. I only wish, on behalf of all the attendees of the gathering, to thank Khalif al-Masih for the wonderful coherence, fantastic vision and superior manner of reasoning in this speech. It is evident from the faces of the attendees that they agree with what I have just said and I am sure that they will testify that I am right to express my gratitude on their behalf, also that I am doing justice to this inference. One person went to Hazrat Muslim and said, I have worked in India as a missionary for 30 years and studied the circumstances and arguments of the Muslims. But never before have I heard the manner in which you presented this topic today in such a wonderful, clear and exquisite manner. Having listened to this speech, I have been deeply impressed in terms of its ideas, coherence and proofs. For this, I congratulate you. Another person came and said, I have travelled from France to listen to this speech. I used to give precedence to Islam over Christianity and Buddhism precedence over Islam. But now that I have listened to this speech and the one presented on behalf of Buddhism, I accept that Islam alone is the most superior religion. 
the beautiful and excellent manner in which you presented Islam. No other religion can compare to it. It has left a deep impression upon me. There were many other remarks. Mrs. Sharples, the secretary of this conference, said to Chaudhary Sahib, I congratulate you and the people are very grateful to you. The same woman said, Men and women have been coming to me praising this speech greatly. Whilst returning from the conference, a German professor here was walking on the street when he approached Hazrat Muslimad to congratulate him and said, I was sat next to some prominent Englishmen and I saw that some of them were tapping their hands on their knees while saying, Rare ideas. One cannot hear such ideas every day. The same German professor states that some people uncontrollably stood up saying, What a beautiful and true principle. And the German professor expressed his opinion in these words, saying that this occasion was a turning point for Ahmadis i.e. a crossroads to success and that even if they spent thousands of pounds they would never attain such recognition and success as was received by way of this lecture. A Baha'i woman listened to the speech and walked side by side with the Ahmadis until they reached their destination. She said, I believed in Baha'i teachings but after listening to the lecture today my beliefs have changed. I wish to listen to more of your lectures would you please let me know where and when you will deliver further lectures and I shall most certainly attend. One woman followed them and insisted that Hazrat Muslimaud should come for tea at her home. Another person said that this speech was so fascinating that it was even more dear to him than his love for this country. Thus, I have presented these few glimpses of the pearls of wisdom and knowledge that Hazrat Muslimaud possessed between the age of 18 and 35. These were from the youth and early adulthood of a person who, as I mentioned before, had no formal education, yet was filled with secular and spiritual knowledge. This is also a sign of the truthfulness of the Promised Messiah and the prophecy of the Holy Prophet The points I have mentioned are only from a 17-year period, some of which are prior to his election as the Khalifa and some from after that. Furthermore, I have only presented one hundredth of what Hazrat Muslim said during this time. I mentioned one fiftieth earlier, rather even one hundredth has not even been mentioned. I believe that I would be able to introduce many of the other books of Hazrat Muslim Apart from this, there are various sermons and exegesis of the Hazrat Muslim which are filled with profound truths of knowledge and wisdom, from which streams of knowledge and wisdom spring forth. Furthermore, there are various gatherings in which he afforded guidance to the world. Thus, this treasure of knowledge, which to a large extent has been published, should be read by the members of the Jamaat. May Allah the Almighty continue to elevate the status of Hazrat Muslim Pray also for the situation in Pakistan. May Allah the Almighty grant peace, security and comfort to the people living there, and through His grace, may He destroy all the plots and schemes and attacks of the enemies. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi na'udhu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'gfiru wa na'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shurur anfusina wa min sayyati amalina man yadihillahu falamudillahu وَمَن يُضْلِلْهُ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ 